Hey, welcome back to Spellstorm Miniatures. We are a show dedicated to miniature war games, including War Machine and Hordes by Privateer Press. Uh, my name is Jeremiah. I'm Dan. And, and we have a special returning guest turn guest host. Curtis, can you introduce yourself? Hey, it's Curtis, the person that just jumped in here a little bit early. <laughs> yeah, Curtis, it's really good to have you join us today. Um, but we have uh, a very special guest joining us, and, and that is uh, none other, uh, Matt Wilson. Uh, Matt, you want to say hello to our listeners? Uh, hello, listeners. And hi, guys. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, we're excited to have you on. We're excited just to talk about the game that we enjoy, the, the game that we all love and play and, uh, and build and paint and dream about all the time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we're excited to have you on. Uh, we have a lot of fun things to talk about. And, uh, and so I think um, uh, you know, your story is an inspiring one. And so why don't we just get right to it? I, th I think Dan is the first question to get us, to get us rolling. Right. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, it's kind of the, the basic one where we all start is kind of how did you get into gaming and uh, what games were you kind of playing then? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> Tax the memory. So, yeah, it's, it's a long time ago. So, I mean, this is a long story if we cover everything. Um, I, I've been gaming all my life uh, from a, a young age. Uh, started with board games and card games and, you know, just the, the run of the mill stuff you'd have in a family game closet. And I, I loved it. Um, and then around, uh, I think I was about 11 when I, I got introduced to uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Actually, it was a little bit before that, but that's when I actually got to start playing. And I think I, I found Dungeons and Dragons when I was around nine years old. Um, you know, they used to, way back in the day, uh, like before you guys, there used to be uh, a Sears catalog that came out every year. Um, and, uh, and they had a toy section in it. Uh, that they they put in there for Christmas, and um, this was a big catalog. It was you know everything that that the Sears department store carried. And back then they used to actually sell Dungeons and Dragons. And I remember cracking that catalog open one day, and they had a two page spread, and they built this crazy awesome diorama with metal miniatures, and it looked like a dungeon, and there was heroes and skeletons and everything in this, and it showed all the books. And I just sort of fell head over heels at that time. Um, but I, I lived in a tiny town. I had no access to this stuff. So even though I had the catalog, I couldn't get near the, the actual game products for a couple of years. Um, mm. but I think, I think it was about 11 or 12 when I finally got them and, and was able to start playing. And then after that, it was, uh, it was, it was a lifelong sort of thing for me. I explored a lot of different games, a lot of different role-playing games, different, uh, miniatures games, um, yeah. Probably spent more time in the in RPGs than miniatures, but I was always a miniatures hobbyist. Um, you know, when I wasn't playing, I was painting miniatures, and um, and uh, in fact, I, I painted and, and modeled long before um, I ever started using them in any sort of games. So just because I I love those little objects, um, and uh, and so uh, eventually I had to grow up and. Uh, and try and enter the real world, and I just couldn't. So, um, so I ended up in the game industry. Um, <clears throat> actually, I started I out. In, started out in comics. Um, I was living in Southern California back in the uh, early '90s when there was the big Image Comics revolution and all the creator-owned yeah. comics. And 
And so like everybody back then, I started my own comic company. Um, and uh, it lasted uh, a couple of years. It, it lost a lot of money um, after producing, a, like, I think, three comic books that we did. And um, don't ask me the names of them. I don't want you to ever look them up. Um, <laughs> but uh, when that was over and I was trying to figure out how to pay off the debt, I, um, I was working. One of the four jobs that I had at the time was uh, I worked part time at a game store in Diamond Bar, California, and I <clears throat> uh, had, had some friends there who knew um, a couple of the guys that worked out at uh, AEG, the All Direct Entertainment Group. Um, mm -hmm. And at the time, the time they were uh, just producing a, a magazine called Shadis, and Shadis was kind of a universal gaming magazine. It had a lot of RPG content in it. Um, but what kind of put them on the map was they were one of the first, uh, first publications to publish a magic, the gathering, uh, card list of, or price list, I think. Um, and, uh, and so that, that kind of blew up for them and the magazine had real good circulation when I, so I, uh, I went out and I, I met with these guys and, um, and I was, I was trying to still do work in the comic books, um, and and I had uh, started a, a, a serialized, well, I had a, what I was pitching to them was a serial, serialized comic, uh, fantasy comic. And um, so I went out and met with them. And while I was meeting with them, I was showing them my work. And, uh, and I said, you know, I, I noticed you also don't have an art director. Because um, it was at the time that was three owners and two employees, I think. Um, and, uh, and so they, uh, they called me back the next day. And they said, well, we don't really want your comic, um, but we do need an art director. So if you want to come on, like, hmm. we'll, we'll hire you. And, um, and then they also said, we, uh, we want to make a card game. We want to get into the collectible card games because they're hot. And, you know, back then everybody was making one. Yeah. And, um, and so they said, we, we know it's going to be called Legend of the Five Rings. And it's loosely based on uh, Miyamoto Musashi's The Book of the Five Rings. And I said, hey, I know that book. Um, you know, I've, I've read it a couple of times. And, uh, hmm. and they said, great, because none of us have. And we have no idea what it's about. We just really like the name. And, <laughs> and so then uh, we figured out how to make a game around the name. And that was, that was my, my entry into uh, the game industry was uh, sort of backdoored it as an art director. I had no experience as an art director other than uh, working on the comics myself, but I didn't tell them that. And, um, yeah. and then we just got to work making this game and I art directed the magazine for a while and they did artwork for the game. And, um, and uh, yeah, and then just never left the, the games. So did yeah. you ever have a, a formalized art background when you were getting into the comic books and, you know, starting as art director? Uh, no, I, so I, I tried to go to uh, state university I, for about three semesters, um, to Cal state Fullerton in Southern California. And, um, I was just, I, I wanted to focus on artwork and, um, and they just didn't, uh, it wasn't enough to me. It felt like I was repeating high school again, because I was taking, you know, three sort of just regular classes and to every one, uh, art class. And it wasn't enough or um, intensive enough for me. So 
I, uh, I took my, uh, my student grant money and I went and bought a bunch of books and I dropped out of school and that was it. Hmm. So I'm assuming uh, along the way you figured out what an art director does. Yeah, I, I did. <laughs> so, one, one way or another, um, it was, uh, you know, it, and, and at the end of the day, it's not, it's not terribly uh, complicated, you know, it's, um, being an art director is, uh, is art. You have to find artists that are willing to work for a company. Um, mm -hmm. you sort of build relationships with those artists and, uh, give them deadlines and instructions and hope that they actually, uh, follow the instructions and give you a piece of artwork by the deadline. And <laughs> then, uh, you know, and there's, there's more stuff that goes along with it, but that's really sort of the, the fundamental loop of being an art director. And it's just kind of rinse and repeat. Um, yeah. You know, you have to have a, a vision for it. You have to sort of know what, um, what you want out of the artists. And, okay. uh, and particularly with uh, things like collectible card games, working with a lot of different people. I, I don't remember how many I was working with on um, Legend of the Five Rings, but I know at one point when I was uh, art directing Magic, um, I was working with over 80 artists at any one time on a set because we we'd have to get, you know, 300 pieces of artwork in two and a half to three months. And the only way to do that was to, to just spread it out over as many people as we could find. And, um, and so, so yeah, I kind of, I figured it out along the way and still, you know, I'm figuring it out, but, um, yeah. it's, I think, you know, if you have a, if you have a little bit of a background with, if you understand illustration and artwork, then it's, it's kind of a, easy role to step into as long as you stay organized. Now being okay. around all these different, you know, levels of artists, you know, with I'm sure a handful of different styles and techniques and so forth, do you just naturally kind of get better because your eye gets attuned and you're sort of like subconsciously pick up uh, some tips and tricks kind of thing? Um, I, I definitely think that the, yeah, being exposed to other artists was, uh, was a real important thing because we we all we always are exchanging ideas and information mm -hmm. and, and stuff and uh and so you know there was there was definitely some um some leveling up opportunities uh where i got to to meet folks who just were really masters of of what they did and um and was able to learn a little bit of, of stuff from them so um so and and then i think a lot of it is also just uh you know putting the time in so i was always what, as long as I was art directing, I was also doing illustration for whatever I was working on. So, um, so when I did uh, Legend of the Five Rings, I was uh, I would go to the office all day and I'd do my art direction. And you know, back then, all of our communication was over the phone. Fax. It was um, hmm. we weren't using email. Um, all of the artwork was done traditionally as physical artwork that had to be sent in and then we had to scan it or get it photographed and, um, and uh, scanned into a digital file. So it was a really much more complicated process than most artwork procurement that happens today where like we, we just get the art in an email. We work with artists all over the world um, that we've never spoken to in person or seen or anything. Um, and I, and it's a, I don't do much in the way of the, the, um, direct art directing anymore for privateer. Um, yeah. A couple of art directors that, that do that and they do a great job. Uh, it's, it's a different kind of place. Cause when I, you know, between 
the well the three years that I I did art direction I did two at um, at AEG and then uh, got hired by Wizards to art direct Magic and I did that for a year and um, I was always working with the same people you know and it, and it might be eighty artists but a lot of them became really close friends over time and um, and you know we'd see each other at the conventions and we'd hang out and we had you know big 80 person dinners with, you know, with all the artists that, that worked on all the fantasy products and things. Um, and so, so yeah, it was a great, great way to exchange ideas and, and from each other. Nice. So you worked two years at AEG, one year at WOTC. Can you tell us the journey that you took kind of from there to starting your own company? Like, how did you start out? How did, how did you get to like, what were the first steps that got you to where we are today, I guess? Uh, well, I mean, those, so the, the journey kind of went, it started with AEG, went to Wizards of the Coast, and, um, and I, I really wanted to be focused more on illustration rather than mm. art direction. The art direction was kind of a, a way I could step into um, a, a paying job or a semi-paying job at the time and, and kind of be around uh, the kinds of products that I wanted to be part of. I've always liked making products, um, you know, uh, whether it was comic books or games or whatever. I like the process of, of um, creating those things and bringing them together. But the illustration was where my, uh, was where my focus was. Um, mm. And, and so while, while I was at Wizards, I think our art directed or four or more uh, sets um, while I was there, but I, I was also always freelancing for other places, right? And you know, like I said, there was a, there was a bunch of different card games at the time. Um, there was like Shadow Fist, and they and there was uh, uh, there was a Cyberpunk, not Cyberpunk, Shadowrun. Uh, yeah, Shadowrun and uh, BattleTech um, Wizards, and I did the work on the Magic, and so anything that I could, uh, anything that I could do artwork for i was i was always doing it i'd be at the office eight hours i'd go home and i'd work another eight hours usually um painting and then get up and do it all again the next day um but i i got to a place at uh, at wizards where i knew i didn't really want to be focused on the art uh the art direction as much as the illustration and uh, an opportunity came up uh with a company called fossa back then so remember the guys that made shadow run and BattleTech. And Earth Dawn, and I had I had freelanced uh, for them for a while, and I had great relationships with them. And they said we want to make a new miniatures game. They wanted to make a sci-fi miniatures game, and um, they they offered to bring me on as the uh, lead concept artist. And it was a game called Vor the Maelstrom, and um, and so I I uh, left Wizards to go and be a full-time concept artist for FASA, but I just worked from home. So I stayed in uh, the Seattle area and worked remotely. FASA was located in Chicago. Um, and I did that for uh, two years. And so I did, and so, and it was great because probably one of the best um, times of, of growth for my own uh, art skill because I was constantly doing artwork and it wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't having to fight against like, uh, an eight or nine hour day at the office where I wasn't actually doing artwork. I was doing artwork you know, now 15, 16 hours a day. Um, and, uh, and I had friends who were other artists, they'd come over to the, um, and we'd be together in my studio or I'd go over to their place. Um, and so again, it was a really great time to be 
uh, getting exposure with with other um, uh, colleagues or peers that were also doing the same kinds of, of things. So I did that for two years, and then um, and just towards the end of that two years, um, I met my wife, and we got married, and then I realized I needed to probably have a better income than what I had at the time. And huh. FOSA was also going through some changes and it didn't look like my, uh, my position was probably going to last much longer. So I started looking around and um, as it happened, uh, Wizards of the Coast had started a miniatures division and um, the, the creative director that I worked under um, when I was on, when I was art directing magic, uh, Chaz Elliott, he had uh, moved over to the miniatures division because he was actually um, an X Games Workshop guy and a sculptor, and so he was a great art director for miniatures. And so right. he he hired me on as the art director for um, for the miniatures division, and it was something where we just sort of uh, hit the ground running. I'd already you know I'd done art direction. I loved miniatures and new miniatures, and Chaz and I had uh, a, a great history working together. Um, and so at the time, Wizards had, like, they had a bunch of different licenses. We had, um, uh, they were making Star Wars miniatures at the time. So I uh, directed I some that. of those. Um, and uh, they, they were making a Star Wars RPG at the time, I believe, and the miniatures were supporting that. Um, it was, uh, they also had, we made some, um, had the licenses with Blizzard for um, Diablo and StarCraft. And uh, and so we made a set of Diablo figures that actually got produced, and um, and we made a and we also made a set of StarCraft figures that never got produced. Those are are pretty uh, hot items if you could ever find them because they, they we made some cool stuff. But for some reason they they ended up canceling the product line before it, it had a chance to get out there. So. Um, and they were in the middle of third edition uh, coming out, right? The, yeah. the with the D20 OGL, and and so and a few things happened. Um, they decided they wanted to make a miniatures to support third edition, and um, and then they they came up with the idea they wanted to do uh, chainmail, and we had some creative disagreements over what the miniature should look like and what the, um, the, the game should even be like. And at the time they were, they were very, um, uh, very intent on doing something that directly supported um, the, the third edition, which I totally get. And, um, and it, it made sense, but I didn't think it was going to be very successful as a miniatures game. And so they fired me off of the team and I got booted down to, to uh, the illustration studio and I couldn't have been happier because I didn't really want to do the art direction. I wanted to do the illustration. And, and so, uh, and that was, that was the right place for me. So I only ended up working on the miniatures division for about three months while I was there. Um, they, they, they kept me, you know, employed, um, but just said, you know, why don't you go uh, be in the just make pretty pictures and don't talk so much. And so 
Um, and so that's what I did for the next three years was I was the lead concept artist on uh, Magic the Gathering, and I did a bunch of artwork for Magic and Dungeons and Dragons. Um, they had some other licenses back then. They did a Wheel of Time RPG, and I get to work on that. Um, oh, yeah, and, that's uh, cool. And so, so, and it was, it was great. Um, and then they made chain mail and it totally tanked. It was like DOA. Um, and so I was kind of vindicated there because I thought that's what was going to happen. But um, uh, it was a great time to be there and surrounded by, you know, other artists. Uh, Mark Tadine was working in the studio at the time. Um, Brom would drift in and out. So, you know, uh, and uh, uh, Andy Post, was was there so i was working around just some amazingly talented artists and uh and so that was another great time for me as a as an illustrator where i was just uh intensively focused on the artwork for the next few years and i started getting very experimental and doing really big paintings and um and and it was it was a fantastic time um nice. during that during the time the <clears throat> all this actually is relevant it's, it's step by step but yeah <laughs> Um, the, during that time, right, the third edition launched and the OGL was out there and, yeah. um, and like, again, you know, everybody started making stuff for, uh, for the D20 system. And so I had a couple of buddies and we were sitting around one day and we said, you know what, like, why don't we do this? And this is why I was still at Wizards. And I kind of, I, I got the idea because when, when I was working on the miniatures, um, in the miniatures division, I also got to share a cube with Chris Pramis for a little while. And, um, and so he was very inspiring because he had uh, his Green Ronin imprint and he was working on the D20 stuff. And so I got to learn about that stuff from him. Um, and so again, you know, sitting around with, uh, with a couple of friends and we, um, we said, just a lark. It was like, you know what? I bet we could make a really neat uh, Dragon's Adventure. Like, you know, and if we did, what would yeah. we, we do? And it was, you know, one, uh, one of the friends was uh, Brian Snowdy. He's uh, just a, a world-renowned artist. Um, and then uh, my other buddy, Matt Starosik, who was a writer and had done some game development. And he and I had worked together at, um, at AG, actually. And then he had ended up moving up to uh, um, Seattle for, uh, for work. And so, so we just, it was, it was really just... Like I said, a lark a plan. It was like, I bet we could make a great looking book. I wonder if people would buy it. Um, and so uh, and so that's what we did. And we, and we did it, you know, completely um, ass backwards, right? We, we made uh, a set of adventures in a world that we were creating before creating the actual world. And so... Um, and, and so each of these uh, adventure books um, in the in what we called the Witchfire trilogy, each one sort of did had some world building elements to it, and and each book added a little bit more to that. Until by the end of the third book, it was the Iron Kingdoms was kind of becoming a real thing, and um, and they just they they sold really well for us. Um, not like you know overnight success kind of money, but it was. Um, we printed that first book on, you know, for dollars. Um, each of us put in two grand, and we mm -hmm. printed that book, and uh, and it immediately sold through. And the distributors came back and they said, "This is great. We need more." And so we reprinted it. And we made the second one, and they became evergreen titles um, for a while. While the while the detail 
um, OGL third edition Dungeons and Dragons was, you know, had its day. It's, and, you know, it was a, it was a good run for a few years where the, um, where those products were very popular. Uh, and then eventually sort of the bubble burst on, uh, on the D20 stuff. And, um, after it, it had its run and, um, and, and then we weren't just so much on the RPG stuff anymore, but, um, but during that time it was great. And, um, and so we were, I think probably into the third, uh, fire trilogy. I was still at, at Wizards of the Coast. So this was just something that we did on the, the weekends and evenings. And I can't say we took it super seriously either. It was just like, it was kind of a fun outlet for us. Um, any money that we made on it, we just put into the next print run. So we hadn't like actually made anything on it. It was just building this, um, this for us. And, um, and at a certain point we decided it would be fun to make a miniature, um, mm -hmm. uh, of one of the steam jacks because, um, you know, you could get your warriors and anything in, in miniatures at that point, but you couldn't get like these steam jacks that we were putting into the books. And so we thought, you know, we'll, hire somebody to do um a miniature and get it and, uh and you know just sell it be like a limited thing that we do for the folks that are really into the iron kingdoms rpg stuff and we were halfway a miniature and we we just were falling in love with it and because yeah. <laughs> we're seeing the progress and um and it was at that point i was like we gotta let's make a game let's make a miniature and so I sat down and um, and started, uh, pounding out rules for uh, what would become War Machine. Um, and that was going on about um, and a little bit prior to 2002, I think. Um, Wizards of the Coast had been a year or two before that bought by Hasbro. And... Um, they were starting to make some changes in the company. And one of the things they were going to do is eliminate the illustration department and all illustration would be contracted out. Um, and it was an expensive oh. department because we had a lot of, there was you know quite a few um, well-paid artists in, in the studio and they were looking at places where they could kind of lean out. Um, and so uh, they gave us six months of, of notice that the jobs were going to come to an end. And, um, and they were very generous with uh, not just the notice, but the severance that came after that. And so we had a lot of time. I had a lot of time myself um, to to plan and um, and work on War Machine. And so I spent every weekend, every waking moment, uh, either doing concept work or designing the game. Um, I met Jason Souls at Wizards of the Coast. He used to be uh, the minister painter there at wizards um and he he was painting like army crazy because at the time wizards was also um uh they had retail stores and so they were putting displays out there and so jason worked in the studio and i got to him um i think he he saw something that we were doing with the game and he said hey i'd like to get involved and so he started coming to our play tests and um and eventually became uh the the lead developer with me on it and so he and i worked on this stuff crazy and uh, gen con 2002 we um i think I, I might have been officially unemployed at that point um and we 
get there, we were releasing the Monster Nomicon uh, for the RPG, and then yeah. we had the first battle groups for the Signar and Protectorate um, and packaging or anything. We just had basically raw metal. We had some bases and uh, and we had some like printouts of the rules and we packaged all this stuff up in like like boutique sort of very uh craft maker like um boxes to try and make them great and we went there and we sold them we sold them sold out um and uh and then with a plan we're gonna do a, an official release of the game uh shortly after in 2003 we booked together and had all the artwork and everything and so um so we got done with Gen Con and uh, and we started testing and we realized that the game did not work. <laughs> it was not, oh, no. It wasn't where we wanted it. <laughs> um, so anybody who got it back then, uh, we had done these um, these rulers, that, uh, little flexible rulers, and they were branded with the War Machine logo. And they had um, a little cheat sheet of the, uh, the action point costs because it was an action point game. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and remember where or why we decided that we needed to do an overhaul, but um, but we came back from Gen Con and Jason and I spent the next four months completely redoing everything. Um, hmm. And then uh, and then in March of 2003, we uh, we released the game officially through retail and distribution. Um, we had the book for starters, and um, and that was the the real launch of what privateer would eventually grow into before that we were doing the rpg books and we were very much just uh you know um offices we didn't need them everything was done uh remotely we meet up yeah. when we needed to um but all we we sort of almost unintentionally pivoted to become a, a miniatures company and was ever supposed to last like none of it was supposed to go beyond just, hey, we're going to kind of do this stuff for fun. But once we got into the miniatures and we were in, you know, we were reinvesting all the money that we had gotten from the the book sales, um, it's to get a little more real. And um, yeah. and then we had to decide if we were going to be a, you know, an, an honest company or not. Um, so that's, so I'm going to stop there because I've been talking this whole time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I'll, and that's, but that's how we, we got into uh, how private came to be you know see see and i think that's exciting um there's there's that that sense of just like necessity plus creativity equals like entrepreneurship right they're like you basically sort of took a side hustle and made something out of it and whether you intended that that was the goal in the beginning or not that's sort of what happened it seems like It it all just kind of caught fire you know and that's that's a cool thing to be caught up in i think I've always been uh, just an entrepreneur to get myself into trouble, and um, <laughs> you know, and that's and that's kind of how how this has gone. And um, it's uh, one thing kind of led to another, and we just we we always just sort of followed the momentum. Um, the, yeah. the 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 miniatures game War Machine it, it did it it caught um, it got traction pretty quickly at the time, and there wasn't a lot of different miniatures games back then, not like there are now. Right. You know, there's, there's there's five different miniatures games for every subject you can possibly imagine, right? And and they're all great. They look beautiful. Um, you know, and if you 
compare the quality of of products that are published today to you know what was being made 20 years ago it's a world of difference right everything today is just amazing and and so i think part of it was you know we we had something that was interesting and original but it was a crowded space yet so we could stand out a little bit um and that that helped but um but it, it quickly the the demand for the game quickly outpaced us we were um mm. we came out in march and um and at the time all of our miniatures were being made by other vendors we had a, we had two or three uh people that would that were making the miniatures for us and they couldn't make them fast enough because they were all just like one guy with a casting machine in a garage um they mm -hmm. weren't like companies that were doing a lot of fulfillment and so um, and our our reorders were coming faster than we could get them and then of course people are cranky and um and uh, they they would case about not being able to get the stuff fast enough and so we realized we take it into our own hands and we're going to have to start um our own uh action and so i think it was june it was only a few months into it that we managed to um get a warehouse and set up a casting machine we had one machine and and uh kelly yeager he's still with us as our um as, as our uh head of production and um he trained another guy and then they started doing split shifts and then eventually we brought in another machine and it just kind of grew in this exponential fashion over um over the next uh, couple of years and and it did it was kind of um it was nothing that we predicted or expected or had any sort of like business model for we just we made this that we liked that we wanted to play with and we thought and hoped that other people would like and want to play with and um and it just kept going and so you know here we are 20 years later and uh we're still making warmer and hordes actually i guess 17 years later right because that was, we were three years into privateer at that point when we launched um war machine and hordes so yeah. another 17 years and we're here but the yeah the company is uh celebrating um its 20-year anniversary in quarantine and uh, <laughs> and uh you know it's it's a lot to look back on and and that we did in that we've got going on you know right now we have we have four different persistent miniatures games um so if you count in and hordes as one game so um yeah we're still all about the the minis you know i um yeah so we got we got our roots in rpgs and we still love that and we we keep coming back to it um from time to time and we've done every type of game that i think exists at this point from card games to board games um collectible games uh mm -hmm. you know we never did a dice game so that's that's the one thing that we haven't done um you can say so, you don't have to go there. <laughs> <laughs> um so boys, we pretty much canvas the board there and, um but miniatures have always sort of been our uh our stock and you all right like i yeah. i think part of it is that um that we all love them you know we we love making these things and there's something that's really gratifying to be able to you know uh put down a drawing get it sculpted get it get the molds made and produce it right there in our own facility and have you know control over it from from 
beginning to end. And then we have this product at the end that we can, you know, be proud of. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's fun. You know, I, 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 uh, I managed to avoid, uh, just about any that seems like real life and I've made toys all my life. So it's, it's been a good. So I had a question for you, Matt, you know, you talk about the idea of, you know, being an illustrator and how much you enjoy that side of things. And when you were, I guess, given or brought into this role of being an art director, it really wasn't, you know, the ideal for you. So, you know, starting this own business, this business on your own. And I imagine early on, you got a chance to do a lot of the illustrations and so forth, but as this, uh, you know, business you've created has kind of probably taken off and given it a mind of its own. I imagine you have a lot more of decision-making than being able to do the artwork. And so yeah, how, was that kind of a, a hard transition for you? And do you miss the illustration side of things? A lot. Um, and, and I do very, very little at this point. Um, hmm. So when, when we first started, I, you know, the, a lot of the, Pride of Tear was uh, on on my part and you know on our part when we started the company, we wanted to work on stuff, right? Like I had I've um, I've never I've never done any artwork, which is a weird thing to say. It's always been it's always been um, a job that I was hired to do. I love doing it, um, but. Uh, but you know, at the point by the time we started Privateer, I'd worked for probably a dozen different companies on, and on at least many different uh, products, and and I liked them. I loved doing all of that artwork, but I also wanted to be able to explore my my own stuff and do stuff that was um, that wasn't necessarily dictated by somebody else. And 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 while most of my my illustration experiences working for other people were actually really great, there were some that were not as fun. You know, you get stuck with the Art director who doesn't have a great vision and and it was a really tedious process um and so, um so here was sort of a, a personal outlet for that that creativity and when we you know for for probably the first years hey maybe longer um i did almost all of our concept artwork for the models so just about everything that was that was done in uh several years of um war machine uh was all concepted by me and then i did our book covers and i do some of the interior artwork um and at a certain point as things grew i couldn't keep up with the, the schedule anymore and we had to um, start contracting some of that stuff out we had we hired um some artists at a certain point and and just the the longer it went the more my my time was taken up in administrative things or figuring out our marketing or our production or you know just how to how to run a, a growing company and that was by necessity not by um not like to be, be you know a boss so at this point, what kind of skills have you picked up that you never thought you would? Like, you're maybe not some master accountant, but you probably know a lot more finances than you ever thought you would. Yeah, fortunately, um, 
my my wife Sherry, who's been the other half of Privateer since uh, at least since we launched War Machine, she handles all of the um, the finance side of things, and so uh, which is good because I'm I'm not real great with the the numbers, um, at least you know when it comes to to that stuff. Um, but boy, I you know I know a lot about project management and uh, working with vendors. Um, I know a lot more about uh like the the physical creation of products than I ever thought I would um you know dealing I know phrases like supply chain and pipeline and things <laughs> like that that um that were never uh even in my vocabulary back when when all I was doing was illustration um you know and at the end of the day I I don't think that I'm I'm really particularly good at any of it either I just happen to be the guy that that is uh, is tapped to do this stuff. I'm sure somebody else could do it way better, but, um, <laughs> but that's just, that's kind of how the, how, uh, creative companies seem to, to evolve is you, you get into it and you start it because, uh, it's, it, it's a, you know, your, your driving passion. And then, and if you're, if it works and if you're successful, then you don't get to do it anymore. Somebody else takes your job. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, that's the sad part. But, um, but it's you know, um, at the end of the day, it's still it's still great and really satisfying. I get to work with awesome people, talented people, um, and and I think that more than anything, I just really like making stuff. You know, not necessarily I don't have to physically make it with my hands, but I like producing products. I've always right. loved getting a new book. Right? You know, we we print a book and you open that box up and the first thing you do is you you pick up the book and you you rifle through it and you smell it and it's a weird yep. thing but but if you've done like if you've been in that position where you make printed products it's there's something that's just it's like a new car smell right you smell this thing that's just come off the press and it's kind of um it's kind of euphoric um and i i love that i i like the uh i like the process of of working with teams and coordinating the vision and and even though I'm not doing the illustration uh, necessarily anymore, I still get involved in um, a, just about everything that we do in a in a creative capacity. Um, I work with the art directors and our sculpting director, and um, this new the new game that we've uh, that we're bringing out in a couple of months, Warcaster. Woohoo! Woohoo! Um, <laughs> yeah, it was um, that was great. I did the the initial design work on that, and then. Uh, and then Jason and I uh, um, developed that game to its completion, um, and so that was and that was a very hands-on uh, process for me. Um, nice. The uh, you know the the year before we worked on uh, Riot Quest, which was a lot of fun, and that one I actually did get to do some of the artwork for. I did a bunch of the um, initial uh, character concepts, and part of that was just. I, I really wanted to do them. And so I wanted to be able to set the the look and feel for this game because it was going to be really different than anything that we'd done, even though it was also kind of the same, but, um, but it was, it was, it had a new sort of feel to it. We wanted that sort of Saturday morning cartoon kind of feel to the characters. Yeah. Um, and so, so I, I got to dip my, my toes in the, um, in the creative end of the pool, uh, there for for a bit and then and then i go back to okay now i gotta make schedules and um and manage this project until we can you know get it printed and, and bring it to market um so yeah it's it's hard to really say what the 
the, you know, like exactly what skills I have developed from it other than like just getting stuff done. Um, and because at this point it's, it's more, I'm kind of going more on autopilot or instinct than I am on, um, you know, where I say like, okay, this is hmm. the next thing that I've got to do that, you know, requires any certain skill. It's just like, we just go and like, do it. Yeah. It sounds like you have a lot of, a lot of pride and, uh, and glad that you, you took your, uh, took a chance on this. I'm imagining. Um, what were some of the moments if you kind of look back, I know you've capped over a few things, but is there anything like really surprising moment, you know, kind of proud moments that have really stuck out over the years? Hmm. Um, we, I mean, we've, we've made a lot of great products and I'm proud of those. And I think that, that over time we've continued to get better at, um, at how we make them, uh, we, you know, we've, we've continue to increase the, uh, the quality of the products that we make. Um, we have made a lot of different things. Um, we've, we've, we've won a lot of awards for the products. Uh, the, I've got quite a few, uh, Ennies as well as origins awards. Um, and those are, those are always great moments to sort of validate, um, you know, what you've done and what you put a lot of hard work into. Um, we, uh, we've always been so like, moving forward aggressively that, that we rarely have stopped to really say like, you know, um, to, to celebrate those things. But, um, yeah. but there's, you know, there were milestones along the way. Like when we first started and we established the factory, it was in a, it was in a terrible place. It was a, a, a big warehouse that was a metal extrusion plant before us. And then, and so it was, it was crazy. And it was, um, it, it was, it was just a shell. It was like a, you know, a, a sheet metal warehouse and it was probably 15 or 20,000 square feet, or maybe it wasn't that big. I think it was actually smaller just in my head. It seemed really big at the time. It was empty and it was like, there was nothing in it except for, uh, a, you know, the, the casting machine that we put in there and then a table that we were packing the products on. And so it was just this giant space and it didn't have a bathroom um we rented it the the landlord was uh owned a coffee shop across the street and was a uh, on market street in uh, ballard in seattle and so anytime anybody had to use the restroom they had to run across the street um and dodge traffic <laughs> to get uh, over the coffee shop um and then we moved in there in june and uh summer is a pretty mild uh season in Seattle. So it was perfectly comfortable. But that first winter as October came, it was like the coldest winter in 10 years. And, um, and so everything was freezing and there was, you know, there's no insulation in this place. There's no heaters, um, or anything. So we scrambled because people are freezing and they're trying to, you know, make the, the stuff. And if you were the guy making the miniatures, you had the best spot in place because you're standing over an 800 degree pot of metal <laughs> so you had some heat but nobody else did um so we we brought in heaters and then eventually we we brought a, a, a somebody in and they they built a a shack for us it was like a 25 foot by 25 foot enclosure that gave some shelter to the elements and we were using that for our packing room but then we had like you know kerosene heaters in there and everybody's getting headaches from the fumes and and so it was a really lousy 
sort of uh, place to be in. Um, and uh, but we were we weren't at the point where we could just you know get a better um, kind of facility. We we're still you know trying to stretch every dime. Um, I think we were there. We were we were there through the winter. We made it through, um, mm. and uh, and then this this landlord he owned basically everything on both sides of these, this street. Um, he had a place that was an old retail front that had um, had some uh, like workshop space in the back, which was actually it was it was a building, and then there was another building behind it, and somehow they roofed over the alleyway and turned it into this uh industrial place but it had heat um <laughs> and and a bathroom and so we we just moved literally just moved mm-hmm. down the street and you know and that was a that at the time that was a pretty big victory for us to go hey like you know yeah. we don't have to run across the street for the bathroom um we have we have some heat but it wasn't enough if the heaters were left off during uh um like the weekend i remember coming back and somebody had left a glass of water on their desk and it had literally frozen inside the, oh, um, inside the office. Well. So it was, we had some cold winters there for a couple of years. So we were there for, I think another year and a half or so. Um, and by the time, by the, by the time we moved out of that place, um, we were, we were, we had grown the staff so big that there was, there was at least like three or four people in each of these very tiny offices who were just on top of each other and we had no place to store anything. And so we had product, like boxes of books and miniatures or packaging or whatever, just lining uh, every available space in this entire um, sort of set of offices, which, so it was a real sort of like rabbit warren of, of different offices and spaces. Um, but like there, and there was a hallway and you, two people couldn't pass each other in the hallway. If you end up, you know, if you got to the hallway at the, at the same time as somebody else, somebody had to wait while you walked through it, you know, otherwise you were, you were just having to squeeze through each other. It was, it was crazy. So, um, so after, after a couple of years there, we, uh, I think it was in 2006, we moved over to Bellevue and, um, and we got a, a bigger place and this was a 25,000 square foot warehouse and office space. And we finally had all this room. It was fantastic. And uh, nice. we had a big warehouse and it all had heat and there was like three bathrooms and um, <laughs> those, were, those were important as the company's growing. Um, and, uh, and it was a great, it was a great place for us um, for a good amount of time. So, yeah. so th- those are, those are some of the, like, I think those milestones probably uh, stick out in my mind a lot because each, each time we sort of cross one of those thresholds, um, you know, working life got a little bit better for us. And yeah. Uh, and the, and yeah. it represented something, you know, like those sure. are all yeah. markers. Yeah. Hmm. So I love your story. It's filled with, um, there's a lot of moments of just inspiration and hope, you know, for, uh, for folks. Um, but I do have to ask you this question. Do you ever get a day off? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, I, once in a while, you know, uh, yeah. but, but most, most of my days are, um, are usually 12 to 15 hours long. Um, yeah. and, uh, and yeah, there's, you know, we, 
I've, I've taken a couple vacations. We've taken some over time, um, you know, and I've got, a, I've got a nine-year-old boy now, so we try and do the family time it's like that. Yeah. But, but there's never been a time when we weren't connected back to, uh, to the company. I mean, like, you know, our, if, we, if we're not at work, we, I work from home. So um, okay. companies in Seattle, I actually work, uh, I live in, in Southern California in San Diego. And, um, and so I'll commute back and forth and I'm in touch with, uh, with everybody there constantly, although now everybody's working from home. So, um, yeah. so it's, uh, it, it's actually not really any different for, for me in some ways. Um, but, uh, but the, you know, we're always, if we, if we're on a vacation, we, the first thing we do is we do email for two hours and, you know, and then we'll go do whatever activity we had planned to do with the kid. And then we come back and we do, you know, some more email and catch up on the day. Um, and, uh, and so that's, that's sort of the, it's it, it, the, the price of, uh, freedom is being, you know, completely shackled to your passion project. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. it's great being able to say, you know, like I have an idea and let's make, let's make this game. And, and there's nothing that stands in the way of that other than the practicality of it and whether or not we, we have the, um, the capital to do it. But usually, I mean, these things are like, they start more with just artwork and ideas and writing and it's all sort of, um, things that we're in control of and can get into easily. And so, so that's a, that's a great existence, right. Is to be able to, to uh, sort of indulge yourself create creatively um uh in things that um that you enjoy and then uh and just be able to execute on them but at the same time it's you know if you want to if you want to keep that up it's not it's never going to be a, a nine to five job it's always going to be yeah. um, something that, that demands more of um of the the folks in charge of, of running things yeah i think anytime you're in yeah exactly anytime you're in charge you know, the, the onus falls on you, you know, um, I, um, want to shift gears a little bit. One of the things that we do in our podcast is we just like to talk about games that we've played and things like that. And, and, um, and we're not going to do that today. Um, but I, I do want to ask you just some personal questions about how often you get a chance to, to play the games and when you play the games, uh, what do you play in? Like what factions and things like that? And then follow-up question, have you started teaching your kid how to play? <laughs> um, yeah, those are, those are kind of uh, combined. So yes, um, <laughs> uh, I don't get a lot of chance. Um, yeah. uh, things tend to, I, I tend to stay so busy with the, the business of making them that it's very hard to find the time to play them. Um, but Riot Quest was actually uh, born out of the desire to have something that I could play with my kid. And, nice. um, I, you know, the, we've, we've seen kids play War Machine at, you know, eight years old, nine years old. Um, and I'm always amazed because these are complicated games to be able to tackle at that age. But, um, but some, some are able to do it. But I, it's, it's not something like... I'm not even good at playing. I've never been good at War Machine, but um, but uh, uh, I love I, hearing like, that. I would Thank I would you. have hard. <laughs> I'd have a hard time sitting down and you know playing it with any sort of uh, 
capability at the at the moment. But so I wanted something that was uh, simpler, uh, yeah, faster, and you know that that an eight or nine year old kid could get their head around, but that's still going to be fun for an adult. And so that's where that's where Riot Quest came from. In fact, um, my uh, my kid at eight years old was the very first play tester for it. So I, I cool. uh, mocked the game up and um, and sat him down. And and it really was it was proof of concept because it was I I needed to see like okay you're eight years old you can you play this game I'm going to explain it to you in five minutes and do you get it and is it fun and it was it was great you know and we were actually uh, um, you know, I drew up a, a board and we, we played with Lego guys and, um, and it was super fun. And, and so it, it proved out that like, okay, we were on the right path with this. This was the product that we wanted to make. And so that's, uh, and so that's, if I was going to sit down and, and play something right now, it'd be, I've done some painting of monster apocalypse figures cause they're nice and, you know, the monsters are really big. Yeah. They're, those little hands that aren't quite, you know, don't have that that fine motor skill yet. They can handle something like a you know a big king condo pretty well, and um, and so we've got to have some fun with that. But we have yet to play it together. So, um, but I, anytime like right now, if I'm going to do any type of gaming, the last last like I'm I had a little, you know guys night of gaming. I'd, uh played level seven Omega Protocol, so. And that nice. was, you know, that was super fun. Um, I have not played that one yet. That's I've been trying to get trying to play all the games as my mission, but I haven't played that one yet. It's it's a it's actually super fun, um, and uh, you know, and it's good. It's a it's a great you know you're gonna play for two and a half three hours, have a good evening, um, and you can play it with you know five people. So um, nice. So that's fun. But uh, yeah, so so there's that. You know, and and then we do a lot of. Uh, of sort of traditional well i've been trying to teach my kid how to play chess and um and we mm -hmm. play uh i pulled out a literally a 40 year old copy of stratego the other day mm -hmm. i've been trying to trying to teach him the the fundamentals the, the yeah. um those classic games so he gets a good foundation that's strategy good. So that's all the stuff that i played with so yeah, all those things. Yeah, they, they yeah. inform all of us. <laughs> Kids are spoiled nowadays with all the games. Come on. They are. Oh, it's, I mean, it's it's the best time in history to be a gamer, right? Like yes. <laughs> you can definitively yes. You'll, you'll never you'll never play uh, everything that there is. Like yeah. How faster than you can learn them. So. Hey, one more question. Uh, do you have anything on your hobby table? Yeah, my hobby table is always uh, a mess. Um, right now, there's Monster Apocalypse stuff on there. There's Riot Quest stuff on there. There's cool. uh, some trolls. And what else? Um, nice. My son plays trolls. Yeah. Uh, some mages. Yeah, there's a whole bunch. Cool. I tend Very to cool. kind of, I, uh, I because I, I sort of, my opportunities sporadically to sit down and any hobby stuff it's it it's always i'm constantly changing i don't usually have the ability to you know get a whole army of something at a time so i'll do a few guys here or a monster there and, and uh and just just kind of get to it as i can yeah that's fair that's fair 
Well, I want to thank you for uh, joining us today. Um, it's, you know, we've been experiencing the COVID thing. And so everything is sort of out of whack for us. And we haven't physically seen each other in, in weeks. And normally Dan and I get together like on the regular, you know. Um, and Curtis, thanks for joining us today. Um, I hope that the conversation was was good for our listeners. I hope that there's some inspiring points along the way for them. Um, any closing thoughts from anyone before we before we wrap up our episode? I was going to say thanks for joining. It's a kind of a great story to to hear some of that background of a of a game we've been enjoying for years now. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me on. It was uh, it was great to meet you guys and to be able to talk about all this stuff. I know I get pretty long winded. Um, you think you're asking a, a short question? <laughs> I'll rattle on for twenty minutes. So, <laughs> but it was a good time. Thank you.